But if you'll turn with me this morning to Leviticus chapter 18. And yes, I know Leviticus is a word that people do not like to hear scripture out of. My wife will attest, honey, I'm struggling through Leviticus again. Why do I read this? And I said, if God didn't have a purpose, it wouldn't be in the Bible. If God didn't have a word that would come from it, it wouldn't be there. And I know most of you have been doing the Bible reading plan and you got through Leviticus and you're like, yes, hallelujah. And then you're hearing me say, let's go back into Leviticus. And you're going, oh, woe is me. But then you realize you were going into numbers and you were like, oh. But hold on a little longer because I promise there's power in his words. But if you've got your Bible and you're on Leviticus chapter 18, we're going to read through verses 1 through 6 this morning. And then I promise, I'll go a little long this morning if that's okay. But in the word of the Lord, it says, The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. If I stopped right there this morning, I think we could get a little excited. And he said to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you to. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and my laws for you or for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Lord, touch me, Lord, right now. Lord, I'm excited. I could go rabbit all over the place, Lord, bouncing off the walls, Lord. But Lord, give me the clear direction, Lord, to give the word that you need your people to hear this morning. Give me the patience, Lord, and the ability to articulate it in a southern slowness, Lord, and not my northern quickness words, Lord, that we would all be able to be edified by what you want me to speak this morning, Lord. Have your way. Use your vessel. Let me be poured out for whatever you need me to do. Lord, I give you it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now, that's an easy word to read to a point. Like I said, I would love to stop at, I am the Lord your God, where God is doing something miraculous. But there's something on the other part of it that we have to look into. And one thing I want you to remember is that Israel had just got done living 430 years in Egypt. Not all of that was in captivity. A lot of that was under Joseph. Uh, one of Israel's sons, who became second in command in all of, all of Egypt. And he let them live in the land of Goshen, where, where they were able to take care of their flocks, and they were, were able to multiply, have more babies, grow in their families, and keep going and going and going until one time there was a pharaoh that did not remember Joseph's account, where he did not remember the good things that came from this people and why they were there. All he did was look at them and say, that's a lot of people. 
I don't want them to take me at risk and put me at risk for them to overpopulate us and overtake this nation. So what do we do? We'll put them in chains and we'll put them to work and we'll put them in our households and we'll make them start learning our customs. I don't care what it is, is what he was saying. And so for the rest of the time after Joseph, when they got put into bondage, they were put into utilizing their abilities and their, their manual labor to build the nation of Egypt for Pharaoh's might. I think it's interesting to truly think about how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget. This nation, some 200 years ago, was founded on Christian principles. It was founded and rooted on, in God we trust. It was founded and rooted on God gave us these certain inalienable rights. But now we live in a nation where they're talking about the Super Bowl and having two commercials that glorify Jesus to get people to question the, the understanding of who Jesus is. And people are getting a little uproar because what they want is they want to say, no, there's got to be a separation between everything that's right in our eyes and what this God is that you're saying is right. And we don't want to hear it. How quickly we have forgotten as a nation the goodnesses of God, how he allowed us to multiply and overtake this land and see the goodnesses from sea to shining sea. How easy it is for us to quit. How quickly I forget what our schools were set up for. Most of you don't know, I've almost got my master's in education. And in a lot of the schools teachings, they, the, the secular schools will teach you that we're supposed to program kids. That's what it was always designed for, to, to get kids to become great and input partners, partners in building our society. But when you really look at the original documents of the founding school systems within the United States, they were really geared on teaching kids to go and dig deeper to try to find the God that created them, the God that put them here, the God that was always trying to show them his goodness. It was set up to be an edification for our faith, not to be a detriment for our disdain. You see, we quickly forgot. We quickly forgot every good thing that God has done. And now we're living in these dark, wicked times where vile things are all over. The sad truth is, it's not hard to find them. You open up an internet browser and you never know what's going to pop up. You turn on a TV show, you never know what you're going to experience. Let alone you turn on the volume and I have to hit mute because the language is coming through and I'm going, oh no, my kids can't hear this. You see, we quit listening to the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and started walking into it because we forgot that is because somewhere, some people decided they did not want to listen to the whisper in their heart that says, turn from your wicked ways and start walking in my statutes and in my commands, in my law. And they really started pursuing some crazy things. And let me say one thing. Crazy perpetuates crazy. I'm sorry, if I taught my kids to drive like some of these crazy people out here, I can only imagine how crazy their driving skills would be. People think they drive like Fast and the Furious drivers. But really, they look like they're going around getting ready to flip their cars every which way they go. 
But that's because we often are what we, we intake. You see, when we look at Leviticus 18, what we find is that God is telling those who he saved and who he's changing their lives that they have to go a little bit different. God is telling them, I am the Lord your God. I am this God that is, that is trying to tell them, I've done miraculous things in your life because I want to put a mark on you. I want to put a stamp on you. I did this to get you out of Egypt because I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you marked as servant of Egypt. I want to make you mine. I want to pursue you. I want to make you pursue me. I want you to know that there's power within it. But in the pursuit of proclaiming that he's your God, he's also asking something of you. Point one, God is asking for loyalty from his people. Loyalty. It's interesting that God who formed the earth and all that is in it, and he's saying this one thing like, Don't you realize that I didn't make you just to sit over in chains and and for your life to be as it always was, but it's got to have a little hope in it. He's not saying I'm going to leave you in chains and say you're going to have hope. He's saying I'm setting you free to give you a future and a hope, but in those effects of what I'm doing in your life, Israel, as I took you out of the bondage, as as I'm transforming your life, I'm declaring a clear and precise truth that it's not you, it's me that wants to do the work within you. It's not you because you're not worthy of it. It's me who declared that I loved you enough that I'm willing to do the effort. Otherwise, I might have just done a small thing. And had you worship me in bondage. See, Israel could have had an ability to worship God while they were still stuck in chains. But it was God that would not relent. They could have been stuck in the, in the chains, building the bricks and dealing with all of it. Well, 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 Moses is saying, Pharaoh, just let us go worship our God. Could you imagine the story if we read it today? Going up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, just let us go worship our God. Don't let us worship yours. Imagine the the, the prince of Egypt, the movie that we saw on the animated series where he goes up, Pharaoh, just let us go worship. But we know the story. He goes up to Pharaoh and he says, what? What does he say? This is participation. Come on. Let my people go. Let my people go. I'm not going to let my people be stuck in this. I'm setting a declaration right now that something has to change. It's when God did this, when we see the ten plagues, when he turned the water into blood, we see that God is telling the God of Egypt that Hippa, that he has no control over the Nile River, that they people thought that he did. And when he made the frogs come up out of the river, he was telling the God of Heket of Egypt that he has no fertility powers or no renewal powers. That's always in God's hand. When he made the lice come up from the dust, he was telling their God, Geb, that he didn't have any dominion on the world. When the swarm of flies came up, he was telling the God, Kelfri, that he didn't have power over creation. 
when the death of the cattle and the plague and the livestock all fell, he was telling Hathor that the protector that they had hoped for didn't have the ability to ever take any stance against God. When the boils and sores started popping up on all of the Egyptians, he was telling Isis that she wasn't the goddess of medicine or peace. When the hell storm started hitting, he was telling the god Nut that there was no power in the sky that ever would have ever come close. Better yet, when the darkness hit, it really took root for all of Egypt and all of the Israelites. Because it was saying that Ra, your god of sun, doesn't have a final say. I tell the sun when the rising is coming and when the morning is going, or when the sun is going down the same. I have the authority. And then when the final plague hit and all the firstborns of Egypt died after the Israelites had done their first ever Passover where they put the blood of the sacrificial lamb across their doorpost, he was finally saying, the one God that you really serve here in Egypt, Pharaoh, has no authority over anything. He does not have the power over your death. I do. He was setting it up so that he could declare the truth that we have today, that we serve the Almighty. We serve a God that's got all authority in earth as it is in heaven. But yet we struggle over and over again because we keep going back in the same traps. We keep going back in the same ideas that we have these little gods all around us like, like they did back then. Did we not read the Ten Commandments when we read, You shall have no other gods before me? Did we not read in the Ten Commandments that we shall worship the God and only God alone? Did we not read in the Ten Commandments that, that we're not supposed to create a craven, a, cra a, a carved image of anything in the heavens? So that it would become an altar that would make our attention and loyalty go away from God. You see, we struggle every single day because we put these gods in our lives that take root. We have a God of fertility, but often it's in reverse. It's not the God that allows us to have it, it's the God that allows us to remove it. We have the God of financial responsibility, which is often in the bank of the government. We have the God of authority and power, which is our government, that we think that it should have all the answers. That they should have all the fixes. We have a God of food and provision when we walk into the shopping market and we go, oh, okay, they should have everything I should ever want. Can I say something? I truly believe that God is declaring right now that that is not the case. That's why when I walk through the shopping market and they don't got my kids chicken nuggets, I'm not going, that's not who provides my chicken nuggets. It's God that allows me to find the provision that I need. It's not the store. I could better tell you right now that when we watch all these balloons going up, it's not the government that's given us our protection and is not given us the authority in our lives. It's God. What we need to understand is that we've been going back into the wrong ways, church. Even in the church, we put up rules and regulations that God never put up. When he says, come and, and, and welcome all and let them come in and let them hear the good news that we're called to, to let them have. 
You see, when, when Jesus left the earth, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go be my disciples. Go be the, the messengers of the good news that Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross. But yet he rose from the dead three days later to give us that hope. But yet we struggle because in church we put regulations on everything. Oh, you can't sing that song. No, I'm not saying that we come in here and sing hip hop and rap and all, and all that stuff. I like some Christian rap, Sister Phyllis, and I know you call me a punk. Sorry, you haven't been here in a couple weeks, so I get to talk about that. But what I'm saying is, where is the line that we say you're not welcome in the church? Where is the line that we say you can't sit in these pews because you've got this or that? Where is the place where we say that our loyalty stopped when, we, when somebody has to come in a little bit different than what we are? Because we don't approve of it. Where is the loyalty that God is calling us to have to him that says that we're supposed to help set the captives free by giving them this hope? They got the ad coming up on the Super Bowl because they want to reach the masses. They want to tell them how Jesus was rejected, but yet how he's still willing to save. Let me tell you right now, church, when we look in the book of Leviticus, what we see is that God is declaring the same truth back then that Jesus did on the earth. But he's calling for us to be loyal to him. He's calling for us to say, Lord, I don't care what it is. I'll serve you and serve you alone. I'll go and honor you with everything I have and all that I am. And say, God, you're worthy of it all. But yet we struggle day in and day out because of this stupid flesh that's got so much corruption within it. And what God is trying to say is it's time for that to have its power over you and your dedication for loyalty. It's time for the corruption to quit having its authority over you when you put the dedication in your heart to say, God, I want you more than I want me. God, I want you more than I want that money over there. God, it's more you than I want that car that I dreamed about all my life. God, it's more you than that house that I have to have. Can I just say it? God, it's more you than that woman across the street that might look good. Or in reverse. If you ladies like men like that, I don't know. I'm not a woman. And I never will understand women all the time. But what I do know. Man, you guys are slow to get that one. But the sad truth is that even in the, in the church, we struggle to be loyal to God because we have been living in a world thinking that we're always right. That we have it all put together. That we think we have it all right. And therefore, we become loyal to what we think is right. But I have to ask you a question. What are you loyal to? I'm just going to leave that question right there floating around. What are you loyal to? Is it your dreams or is it God? Is it your, your, your ideas of everything that's supposed to go right or is it God? Is it your relationships or is it God? Is it the drugs or is it God? Is it the alcohol or is it God? Or is it the nicotine or is it God? What is holding you back from saying, God, I'll serve you and only you? You see, I think it's interesting that God was calling his people and he said, I am the Lord your God. Man, I could preach about this for 19 more minutes, Sister Amy, but I still got 
19 more pages. I hope you're ready. I think it's interesting that God is trying to say, be loyal to me and me alone. And then here's the next part I want you to hear. God is trying to tell us that our proclamation is the one that is to be set apart from others. God is trying to tell you that your proclamation is supposed to be set apart from others. Your declaration, your, your loud voice saying, it's not about me. I don't want to follow the crowd. I don't want to be like what I once was. I want to be different than what I once was. I want people to see the difference within me. I think it's interesting that the world impacts the church a lot more than we'd like to say. The church impacts the world. Let me just be honest. People come into churches and they're like, ah, it's not my flavor. I'm going to go to the other church down the road. It doesn't matter if it's godly preaching. Oh, they don't like the worship music because I got to have it my way, the Burger King mentality. So we let the world creep in and we're like, okay, I got to have it my flavor. I don't care if they got good music, but the preaching's horrible because it's not scriptural. They got the good music that makes me feel good. Or they don't got the right color carpet in the floor. They don't have the right kind of wall art that I like. They don't have this or that. You see, the world has creeped in on us and said that you have to be like us. You have to be so indecisive with what you want that you're always questioning and always wondering. So you're always wondering and never taking full root. Can I say that a little bit differently? The world doesn't want you satisfied with what you have. So that you're always seeking after something more. That happens in the church more than I'd like to admit. Especially in younger generations. I don't know why. I think it's, it's really sad in many ways. I want every generation to be represented. Old, young, all between. I want them all to be coming together and working together and growing together. Seeking after God's true word that he's got for us. But yet the world has influenced us so much. And yet what God is trying to say is it's time to be a little bit different. It's not supposed to look like you walk like an Egyptian. What I mean by that is, if you look in the scripture, it talks about how God says, I am the Lord your God. You are to do something different. You're not supposed to do like what they do in Egypt. Let me tell you, there's a lot of corruption within Egypt. I did the research. Because I was like, okay, God, because I read what's after this whole scripture in chapter 18. I read what it says after this in chapter 18, where God starts going, you shall not approach anyone who is akin in him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or of your mother, you shall not uncover their nakedness. You shall not uncover your mother or your sister's nakedness or your father's wife's nakedness or your sister or your daughter or your daughter-in-law. It goes on and on about sex and the things that go along in the bedroom. And I go on and ask the questions that we all probably were asking this week. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? 
Why does God say, I want you to be different. I don't want you to do as the Egyptians do. But, but here's the rules and regulations. You can't do this in the bedroom. You can't have this kind of relationship in the bedroom. You can't go and be with this person or that person or animal. Because it's in there. And what God is trying to say is, there was a corruption that the people were experiencing in Egypt. If you look at Pharaoh's lineage in the 18th century, they found this king called King Tut. They noticed that he had a club foot, that he died at a young age, and they started asking questions. What would cause him to die at a young age? Is there something genetic within him? So they found his father and his mother and, and all these, and they started doing the DNA sequencing. And what they found was something that they had heard rumors of and thought and speculated throughout all of their little archaeology things. That there was some really bad family business going on in Pharaoh's court. See, King Tut's father got it on with his sister who came out of King Tut. Can I say that a little bit? His daddy got with his sister and he came out of that. But that was something that was more common within Pharaoh's court. You see, they thought that they had to have a pure bloodline. They thought they had to have this bloodline that, that allowed the, the, the God stat or st status that they always wanted that couldn't be mixed up with anybody else. So they kept going after it. Son would marry his, his mom and have kids with his mom again and go on and keep perpetuating the cycle. I know it sounds disgusting to us today because we're like, oh, that's nasty. But we act like stuff like that doesn't happen in the world today. Let me tell you, I am firsthand account, not knowing in my own life, I've witnessed people that have had to deal with ancestral relationships and, and the corruption that comes from it. And what God is trying to tell you is you can't walk like an Egyptian. You can't do as the Egyptians. You can't serve the gods of the Egyptians because they're all messed up. Because you don't realize that that relationship that might look good on your idea is not good because it's going to mess up the family structure down the road. You're going to have no authorial structure within it. You're not going to have the actual ability to keep healthy because we all know that when you start getting too much ancestral relationships going on, deformities come through. So therefore, the life is corrupted. And what God is trying to get us to become aware of is that there are things in our life that we've witnessed that have affected us and transformed our lives and changed us to where we don't trust like God is calling us to trust. We don't believe because what somebody did in our lives made us question our belief structures. You see... We all have an Egyptian past. We've all witnessed and encountered horrible, horrendous things in our lives. We all have bad parents sometimes. We all have issues that struggles that continue through our lives. And what God is trying to say is it's time to be a little bit different sometimes. It's time to start casting off Egypt off of your shoulders and start looking and understanding that God has a better way in your life. It's not all about the, this sh thou shalt not do these. It's God saying, I love you too much to allow you to stay in that. 
for somebody this morning, he's trying to tell you, I love you too much to allow you to stay in that dysfunction any longer. So the only way that I can fix the dysfunction is to call it out. That's why when we look at the book of the law, and that's why I love the title, The Love in the Law, it's because God is trying to say that your way of doing things is not always the best. It's not always the best. What do you mean, God? I can't go and watch the Super Bowl and enjoy everything? No, because you don't realize that there could be a doorway of sin that's getting ready to get opened up by watching that. I'm not saying don't watch the Super Bowl. Go enjoy. Go whoever you're rooting for. I don't know. It's a it's either a chief or a bird. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like, don't go watch HBO because you don't know what that, that late night special is going to do in you. Don't go into that one bar because you don't realize that it's only going to open up Pandora's box. I can be a testament to that. I, I started smoking at the age of 13 years old because my buddy did. I got up to two packs a day because my buddy started it. It took me years to be able to quit that because it was God's hand on my life that allowed it to happen. But better yet, I started going to bars, Sister Phyllis. When I was 16 years old, I think, I think the statues of whatever that is is over by now. But I went to the bars at 16 to go play darts with people after work. Then after a shot got put on my table and I took it and I was like, oh, that's nasty. And then I took another one. Then it started building up a habit. It started influencing my body and, and causing me to always go to school drunk after I got off work. I'd go to work, get drunk, go to school the next morning. My dad always goes, why is your head always hurt? I don't know, dad. But what I'm trying to really get at is Egypt likes to try to find us. Egypt likes to try to cause dysfunction within us. Egypt is trying to do something in your life, and it's going to cause a detriment. It's always trying to come back in. And if it's not God that's trying to say, you've got to get rid of Egypt, why are we not going to? Why are we not going to give in to that? You see, what God is trying to say is it's time to be different than what you once were. I called you out of your bondage. But I'm setting a mark right now in your life that says you cannot be that anymore. Let me tell you, as Moses was rolling out this, this whole rule, I'm sure there were several Israelites going, um, 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 I can't be with you no longer. I don't want to get stoned to death no longer. I don't want this past to get on. I'm going to start setting my life a little differently because God is declaring something good over us. You just don't see it yet. And that's the struggle we go through every single moment of our lives. See, God is trying to do something good. God's trying to call something righteous out of you. God's trying to call a purpose through you. But he's got to do it in a manner that says you cannot stay the same old, same old. I love coming in here in jeans. You know I hate wearing suits. I'll wear a suit at a funeral. I'll wear a suit at a wedding. I'll wear a suit sometimes in this church, and it's always sporadic, and everybody gets surprised at it. But the suit doesn't make me righteous. It's the command that God's given me. 
to go and be his vessel to proclaim his good news. To live a life that people look at and go, what is different about him? See, God said, do not be like the Egyptians. And he's calling you to do the same. It's time to start asking the questions. What is it that's my Egypt that I keep carrying on in my life that God's been trying to say, time to cast it off? What is it that you've been holding on to and God's saying, it's time to get rid of it right now? The line's drawn. I need you to go and start pursuing after my righteousness. It's time to start pursuing after my command over your life. It's time to start pursuing after what I've asked you to do. It's time to quit walking like an Egyptian. I know every time I say that, I think of the song, Walk Like an Egyptian. I know, Julie, you were right there with me, weren't you? But we struggle to understand that. Because we, try, we struggle to accept it. Because what we like to do is walk in the normal comfort of everyday life, thinking God can change me and leave me in bondage and never let me worship Him in freedom. Let me tell you, Leviticus chapter 18 means more to you than you'd ever understand. I know you probably glossed over it because you're like, I can't listen to the rules. But what God is trying to say is it's time to set the captives free. It's time to start putting lines in the sand. It's time to start putting power into the rubber so you can start making waves in the ocean that you need to go into. Because what God is trying to get you to realize is it's time to not only live, but to live abundant. Or as my notes would say, God is calling us to not only live, but to live an abundant life. Live the abundant life. Like then, today, we like to be accepted by what we see. You don't believe me? Watch what people wear. You got a segment of population that's all about the Jordans. You got a segment of society that's all about the Gucci. Or the Louis Vuittons and stuff like that. Lord knows, I'm tired of hearing my kids sing the song. But what I've been hearing God say is it's time to quit living, thinking that you're right. But not realizing that the chains are still dragging behind you because God's not called you to live in the captivity. He's called you to go beyond and live beyond it. He's calling you to live in a manner that's got greater impacts than you'd ever have in your own dreams. He's calling you to live abundantly. And that's the love in this law. He's not calling you to live the same old, same old every single day. He's called you to live when you wake up and say, Lord, take this day. Draw your lines in the sand and let me walk according to that today. God, make this wretched mess that I am a little bit more righteous today. Start making me different. Start calling me out. Start making me look more and more like your son than less and less like me. You see, the incest that God was calling out to his people was to keep them away so they didn't keep walking in the perversions. He wasn't saying you can't enjoy the good things that God's designed in our fleshly ways. He's just calling that we can't walk in the perversion in a manner, in a fashion, where we would cause so much dysfunction in the world around us. 
I told you, like attracts like. I was watching an evolution video one day, and they were talking about how you can't make a, a horse become an, uh, uh, produce an elephant. A bird can't produce a donkey. A fish can't produce, I don't know, a well. Because a fish is a cold-blooded, and a mammal is a, a well is a mammal. Like attracts like. But here's the thing. Wickedness produces more wickedness. Holiness produces more holiness as we start walking in the godly manners that he's called us to do. And that's where God is trying to get us to understand this. God doesn't want you to walk in that dysfunction and a perversion any longer. He's trying to wake us up to his truth and his love through the law that he's wrote in the book of Leviticus. And he's trying to say, there's more to it than what you'd ever glean. There's more to it than you ever have. That's why I love when you look at the text and you look in the New Testament and you see the correlations that come through it. See, what God is trying to say to his people is a simple thing that Jesus told his followers. You ready for it? Follow me. All God is saying is it's time to follow me. I've told you, I pulled you out of Egypt. I put you across the Red Sea. The impossible thing that you thought you couldn't get through. I put you in a place. I called you my own. It's time to follow me. See, what Jesus did as he was going up to his disciples, he looked at them. And he says, why don't you just follow me? And what did they do? Scripture says they dropped their nets. They jumped out of their dad's boat and said, see you later, dad. And they followed him. And they followed him. That's what he's asking for us to do. It's time to stop holding on to everything that we think is right. It's time for us to start thinking that, 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 that this is a good thing when God has called it wicked. And it's time for us to drop it like it's hot. It's time to, for us to really start picking up the pieces of, of what God has called a mess and, and, and start letting them get cast, or cast into the fire that God is saying, i got to burn off of you so that it cannot be put back on you any longer. He's trying to say it's time to start picking up your cross and carrying all your garbage and it's time to set it up next to Jesus and leave it there because you're no longer there anymore. He's trying to call you to follow him and be something different. Let me tell you, when Jesus looked at his disciples, they didn't ever go back to the same. They didn't ever go back to that same lifestyle that they were so accustomed to. And he's telling us the same thing. You thought you were right one way. But I got a righteous way. You thought you were good, but I got a holy way. You thought you were saved. No, I got salvation over here. You see, what God is trying to tell us today through the scriptures, it's time to make the decision. It's time to get right. It's time to get on his way. And we finally say, Lord, I don't care what the cost. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm loyal. I'm dropping my nets, Jesus. I'm following you all the way through. I don't care if the things of this world try to harm me or hurt me or do whatever it can do. I'm all in. 
I'm all in on church. I'm all in on my Bible reading. I'm all in on prayer. I'm all in on worship. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in on giving. I'm all in on, on sharing the good news. I'm all in on being your representative. I'm all in on the rejection that I know is going to come in. I'm all in. You see, Jesus is telling us today that we need to be all in. It's, he's trying to tell us today that, it, that you might look at the rules and think that they're bad. But there's so much more importance in all of this. I'm all in. Trust me, there's stuff in here that cuts me deeper than I'd ever like to admit. And all I could do is say, God, I didn't realize it was a wretched mess. I'm all in. There are things in here that will hurt a little bit more because you realize that you've got to drop things. But it's time for us to say, God, I don't care. I'm all in. God, I'm loyal. Make me different. Set me apart. And let me know that what your word said according to what Brother Jack said. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. When he talked about the mansions and the ability to go into heaven and worship God wholeheartedly because we'd have everlasting life. Church, we have the promise of everlasting life and that's what God is trying to get us aware of. It's not about the rules and the regulations. Those are for your benefit. It's not about your defeat, because it already says that the enemy's already been defeated by Jesus himself. It's about the victory that's going to ensue. So if you'll stand with me this morning. I think i got another ten more pages, and we'll hit those up probably next week. But I want to ask some questions. Are you loyal? Are you going to be loyal to God with everything you have? Are you going to let him change you? Better yet, are you going to let the old self finally do what it was meant to, and that's to pass away so that the new Jesus can live within you? Are you willing to allow him to start transforming your life so that freedom can ensue? So that way you don't have to worry about worshiping, worshiping your God in bondage, but in full freedom like they're doing in Ashbury like they're doing there right now, where you're finally saying, it's enough. I'm done with my schedules, God. You have your way. Amen. That's where our hearts should be. That's where our hearts should be. See, this song's been on my heart, and it goes with your majesty here. I fall to my knees. I love you endlessly. And with the beauty of your son, I find myself undone. I love you endlessly because you love me. Before I knew of you, yes, you love me. Now I give it back to you. It's the simplest song, but it's got such a power behind it. If we would just let that be the beacon of our life where we say, with your majesty here, Lord, I fall to my knees. I love you, God, endlessly. And with the beauty of your son, Lord, I find myself undone. I love you endlessly because you love me, because you, you, you pursued me, God. Now I give it back to you. Come on, church. Let's just sing that a little bit. Because you love me, because you care for me, God.
I love you endlessly. And with the beauty of your son, come on church, I find myself undone. I love you endlessly because you loved me before I knew of you. Yes, you loved me. Now I give it back to you. And with your majesty here, Lord, I fall to my knees. I love you endlessly. And with the beauty of your son, Lord, I find myself undone. I love you endlessly because you love me. Come on, church. You love me because you love me because you love me. Oh, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you loved us, God. I thank you that you love us so much that you're not going to leave us in Egypt any longer. That you leave us no longer in the, the patterns that, that we can keep picking up, God. But you call us into the promise of your goodness. Because you loved us. And right now, Lord, we want to just give it back to you. As we just take a few moments, Lord, and full surrender and just worship you. Saying, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we don't have a time schedule, Lord. But right now, we just want to give it all back to you. Yes, Lord. George, Jesus, Lord, we give it all to you. We thank you for what you've done. Lord, we thank you for, for this church, Lord, and allowing people to come in, Lord, and hear your message of good news. Lord, we thank you that you didn't leave us on the wayside. But, that, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit, Lord. To give us the ability to walk out all that you called us to do. Because God, you're changing us, Lord. Yes, Lord, you're changing us. Because you loved me before I knew of you. Yes, you loved me. Now I give it back to you. Yeah. And with the majesty here. Lord, I fall to my knees. Lord, I love you endlessly. And with the beauty of your son. Lord, I find myself undone. I love you endlessly. Lord, I love you endlessly. Lord, we love you endlessly, Lord. Lord, it's all for you, Lord. You get all the glory. And Lord, you get all the honor because you're worthy. Lord, just take it all today, Lord. Take it all today, Lord. Lord, start setting the captives free today, Lord. Start taking the bondage of Egypt off of people, Lord, today. As you're setting your mark, Lord. As you're calling it out, Lord. Saying that you've got to change it, Lord, in their lives. So that they can be a little bit more upright, Lord. So that they can take this moment, Lord. And finally live with the revival heart, Lord, that they've called to be living. Have your way, God. Have your way, God. 
Lord, we give it all to you, Jesus. Lord, we give it all to you, Lord. Just take it all, God. Lord, you get all the glory, Lord, and all the honor. Lord, you're worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Before you are all things, and from you are all things, and you get the glory, God. Lord, we give you it all. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you, God. Lord, have it all. Have your way, God. Have your way, Lord. Lord, we give it to you, Jesus. today, it's time to just answer the call. It's time for us to say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Today, it's time to tell Jesus, I'm all in. I'm casting the garbage aside, and I'm going to fall all in on you. I'm going to go through and let the next generation of my life be the thing that you live within me. It's time for me to live the abundant life is what we're, we're trying to tell God. To walk in the promise and the reassurance that our hope is not always on this side, it's in heaven. But his goodnesses and mercies will follow you all the days of your life if you're all in. So, Father God, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for everyone that's hearing this message, whether you're hearing it right now in person or they're on live stream or watching it later, Lord, on video. God, set something in our hearts, Lord, that we can always chase out. Let us understand that your love is always in the loft. That your love has always got a purpose and is trying to show us where it needs to be fixed. God, have your way, because we're all in. Lord, we give it all to you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And the church said, church, I love you all. I'm sorry you had to hear me sing. But that being said, I look forward to seeing you this week. If I get to see you this week, if not, I'll see you next Sunday. Lord, but go and be the, the church. Go and love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go and be disciple makers. I'll see you guys soon. Lord, make me a house. Make me a house.